2 Timothy chapter number 2. Let's start verse number 19. Paul's writing to Timothy, his young protege in the ministry, and trying to give him some good instruction. And I think, uh, I think discipleship is needed. And this young preacher learned from the great preacher. And this is what he says in verse number 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are his, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. There's a word there in verse 21 I want to read to you. The Bible says, if a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. And what's that next word, church? Sanctified. Sanctified. Tonight I want to talk to you about the subject of sanctification. Uh, it's a subject that most churches dare not touch with a 10-foot pole for fear of being called a legalist or a Pharisee or some, some sort of terrible derogatory slang term like that that does not mean what they think it means. And we're going to talk about that for a little while, the doctrine of sanctification. I think today that modern churches are trying to divorce salvation and sanctification from each other. And I think in some cases, some extreme cases, they're trying to make salvation and sanctification the enemy of each other. And I have uh, looked through the Bible and I don't think anything is, uh, could ever be done. I think salvation and sanctification are best friends. And I think in some cases, they, they accompany one another. They're, two, two, they're really, I think salvation without sanctification is a false gospel. I believe that. And uh, I want to tell you this, that I, I do believe there are people in churches who are saved, but they're not really all that sanctified. Is everybody okay? I think there's people in churches today that when they die, they're going to heaven. But for as far as anything beyond that, that's about it. Because they're just not that sanctified people. They're worldly. They're carnal. Uh, they, they, they've never grown. They don't read their Bible. They just kind of have churchianity rather than Christianity. They just go through the motions. And uh, they're, they're kind of present, but not really present, if that makes sense. And I want to tell you today, a lot of people, in, in, especially in fundamentalist Baptist churches, they like to debate where the line of acceptability is. Can a, can a Christian... Uh, can a Christian go to the movie theater? Or can a Christian wear this? Or can a Christian listen to that? And uh, that stuff's really not all that new. I remember reading old Billy Sunday sermons, and he said that a, a praying knee and a, and a dancing foot can't be on the same leg. Amen. And I thought that was true. People have been fighting this stuff for, for centuries and decades, really. Uh, but I want to tell you this. There are some things that a saved man can do that a sanctified man just can't do. There are some things that a saved person can do that a sanctified person can't do. And that's right there where the rubber hits the road. And I think sometimes, I think we, we as Christians, we just, we punched our ticket to heaven. And beyond that, we're not willing to invest and go any farther than that. And I want to tell you, that's a poor example of Christianity. It's not, that's not right. You ought to be all the way in or, or, or I mean, just quit playing the game of churchianity. I'm so sick of this stuff, man. It bothers me. Let me give you this, uh, number one tonight, I want to talk about the doctrine of sanctification. I want you to tell you, number one, that when you got saved, positionally, you were sanctified in Jesus Christ. Positionally, you were sanctified in Jesus Christ. Go with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 real quick, and I'm going to give you some Bible tonight. I hope you don't mind. 
First Corinthians chapter one. And I want you to read uh, verse number two with me. The Bible says, First Corinthians one, verse two, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, unto them that are sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So I believe that every person uh, that got saved is positionally sanctified in Jesus Christ. Now go over to Hebrews chapter number 10 with me. Later on down in the book of Hebrews, I want you to read this. This is some good stuff right here. Hebrews chapter number 10. <clears throat> And let's start in verse number 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. By the way, that's the, the first testament and the second testament. That's the Old Testament and New Testament. Law and grace right there. And verse number 10 says this of Hebrews 10. By the which we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Amen. I love that right there. We, we sing that hymn, Once for All, and I like that right there. Let me go also to the book of Jude, right there at the very end, before the book of Revelation. Uh, Jude is, gives a greeting to the people of God, and he says this in Jude verse number 1. The Bible says, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. So we find there that when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are positionally sanctified in Jesus Christ. And that's no, that's a, just a basic Bible doctrine. Uh, we like to use the term saved. There's justifications, there's sanctification. And in this sense, positionally, they are one of the same. But that brings me to my next point, not only positional sanctification, we also need to go beyond that into something called personal sanctification. Does that make sense? Not only, let me just put it to you this way. I was, I was reading a theology book today and it, man, a lot of good stuff in there. And I, it, this is what it said. And I'm going to use the, the term justification. Do y'all know what justification means? Someone said that uh, justification is just as if I'd never sinned. And I, I think that's a good definition. Uh, but justification is different from sanctification in that justification is a one-time event that happens when you trust Christ. But sanctification is a continuous event that happens throughout the entirety of our days. We never stop getting more and more sanctified if you're living the Christian life. Justification has to do with our standing before God, but sanctification has to do with our state here on this earth. Justification declares us righteous, whereas sanctification makes us righteous. Justification is what God does for us, but sanctification is what God has done inside of us. And let me say justification makes us safe, but sanctification is what makes us sound. And uh, justification is what makes us saved, but sanctification is when we start living like we're saved. I want you to know this. There are some Christians that if you were to put them on trial for being a Christian, there would not be enough evidence to convict them. Other than maybe where their, their geographical location on a Sunday morning and Sunday night, if they do come Sunday night, that is. I never did understand the Sunday morning only crowd. <laughs> I mean, God could show up and we could have Pentecost 2.0 and they still ain't coming back Sunday night. I don't know what they're doing. Uh, but the Sunday morning crowd, they, that, that's, they need to get more sanctified is what they need to do. But I want to I show you this. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We live in a lewd and crude society. 
I remember hearing Clarence Sexton, he just went to heaven. He, he died about 75 years old, I believe. And he was talking about, you know, back in his day, nobody called each other gay. That was bizarre. And that was like a, un, that was an unheard of thing to call each other gay. Why would you call somebody gay? And, uh, and I remember one time, um, I'm, it was Tony Hudson. He told the story of uh, him, his Curtis Hudson and his wife were sitting in a meeting, a Southwide Baptist Fellowship or a sword conference years ago. Lester Olaf was up there preaching, and, uh, and Lester Olaf was up there preaching against the sodomites, talking about sodomites. And it was like in the late 70s, he's ripping on the sodomites. And uh, Jerry Hudson, Curtis Hudson's wife, leaned over to Curtis and said, What is that? And Curtis looked, leaned over and whispered something in her ear, and she goes, oh, my goodness, there ain't no such thing. Yeah. Now we got people today don't even know what gender they are. Yeah. I mean, I see it all the time on Twitter, and people talk about their, there's an account called Libs of TikTok, and all they're doing is just showing all the school teachers that are in the public school system right now, the weird, perverted, perverse just demented, straight up demented things that these people are teaching these public school kids. God help the next generation that's coming up in America right now. Oh my. It, it's, uh, look, America has become Sodom and Gomorrah. And if God, if God doesn't judge America soon, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. We're in bad shape. But I believe this, as, as the world gets, here's the Christian and here's the world. As the world gets more and more and more sinful, I think what has happened today is that the gap has gotten so much wider that Christians, in order to stop looking so weird, have kind of, as they're going this way, we've kind of creeped that way too. I think that, I mean, you go to the average church today and they're playing Christian rap music. That would have not flown 50 years ago. Christian rock and roll. Was, I mean, I remember sitting down with a guy in Atlanta, Georgia, at a big metropolitan uh, contemporary church, and I just went in there and said, "I want to talk to the I want to talk to the music minister." And he talked about how in the 1970s he went to a church and somebody was playing Christian rock and roll in a church, and he said he was just so blown away. He said, "I can't believe we do this," but now everybody does it. <clears throat> Not good. But I think as the world's gotten worse and worse and worse, I think the church has gotten accommodating that just a little bit. I'm going to tell you right here, Christians ought to stay where God says is right, and as the world gets worse and worse and worse, we ought to get weirder and weirder and weirder. You mean your kids don't go to prom? <laughs> yeah. You mean your kids don't do this, that, the other? No, we don't do that here. We don't do that. We're, we're in sports now, and by the way, we don't do Sunday basketball games. We don't do Sunday baseball games. You heathen devils can have it on Sunday if you want it. I'm going to be at church with my kids, and I ain't sacrificing my children on the altar of sports. And quite frankly, I'm kind of offended, half offended that somebody would even ask me that. We go to church. Y'all can do what you want to. And, and can, I, can I say this? Can I, can I run a rabbit trail real quick? God help these churches that have 2 o'clock Sunday afternoon service just so they can accommodate the Super Bowl crowd. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday is the litmus test for every Christian in the world. If you don't show up, I'm going to judge you. Oh, I'm going to criticize you. God gave us DVRs. There ain't no reason to miss no church on Super Bowl Sunday, you criminal. You, Amen. 1 Thessalonians 4. And uh, let's go there. 
look in verse number one. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus that ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God so that you would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your what? Sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. Now, wait a minute. We're not talking about positional sanctification here. We're not talking about getting saved right here. We're not, talk we're not talking about being sanctified in Jesus Christ. We're not talking about positional sanctification. Now we've changed gears. We're into the personal sanctification. The Bible writer right here is getting into your kitchen. And he's saying, okay, you're saved now. Good. Great. Welcome to the club. I'll see you in heaven. But now, if you're going to be a sanctified person, there's some things you can't do. Like fornicate. It's amazing we even got to say that in churches today. Is the will of God even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication? Even Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians, he said, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. I get worried. I mean, I, me and Rebecca, we went down to Tifton, Georgia one time years ago. I don't even know why we were down there. We, I think we were doing a meeting or something like that, visiting family. And we, me and Rebecca went and sat on the back row of the church, and there was this couple in the, in the pew in front of us, and they were teenagers, boy and a girl. And I'm talking about it was, it was not G-rated what they was doing to each other in that, in that pew. I was nervous. I was in there like, Lord, have mercy. These people must be on the honeymoon. Turns out they was just teenagers in the church. And then eventually the pastor said, he said, Anthony, come up here and sing that song that blesses us real good. And it was the boy of that, of that, that couple. I mean, like we were singing hymns and he, he had his arm over his girlfriend and was oh, 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 in his girlfriend's ear the whole time we was doing hymns. I was, I was creeped out by it. And she was just sitting there going, oh, you're such a good singer. I never understand these girls. They, they like these effeminate boys. If he, ain't, if he don't know how to use a chainsaw, he ain't a man. I never understood these, these girls, these Justin Bieber's. Like, ah! Why do you like that thing? Like a man, you little weird creeper, you thing. What's wrong with you? We was in the service, and I was, I was kind of putting the blinders on these two. And then all of a sudden the pastor says, Anthony, come up here and sing that song that we all love. And it was the boy of that couple walked up there. He had moose in his hair, had a spiky hairdo, and got up there saying, He's the all-time undefeated champion of love. And the old, the old ladies in the church is, oh! That's what happens all these Gaither things. There's a bunch of old ladies out there and these bunch of, I don't even know what the word I can say that's appropriate for these men getting up there wiggling. And the old ladies are just like, oh, I love it. I love it. The Bible talks about, by the way, there's something perverted about that. Perverted about that. God ain't with him. It's flesh all it is. But I want to tell you something. I, I don't think a boy who's in fornication ought to be crawling up in the pulpit and leading the church in a song. That's, he's out of the will of God. The Bible says in verse number 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel, that's your body, in sanctification and in honor. 
not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go by, and it goes on and on and on. Look what it says right there at uh, verse number 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who, all, who hath also given unto us His Holy Spirit. Meaning this, if, if you've got a problem with holiness, the Bible says uh, in verse number 8, for he that despiseth holiness despiseth not man but God. Meaning if a man gets up here and preaches, you ought not be a fornicator. You ought not, you ought not be listening to a bunch of perverted music. You ought not be watching a bunch of perverted nastiness on TV. And you walk out of the church saying, oh, that preacher's a legalist. Oh, what does he know? I've had some conversations at the back door of the church that have been quite exciting. Let's put it that way. And I, they walk away, and I know this. They blame me for what, they, and they, they throw, they say, you're arrogant, you're mean. Well, okay, cool. You're carnal. They, they try to blame the preacher, but ultimately it's not the preacher. Your problem's with God. When I got saved, my heart caught fire for God. I was, I mean, I, I, the, the preacher could have told me that the microwave was wrong and I'd have gone home and smashed my parents' microwave. I mean, I, I, I was looking for ways to get away from the world. I didn't care. I mean, I, w I would have done it too. <laughs> um, but we need to learn how to possess our vessels in sanctification and in honor. And one of the ways I'm just looking at this word sanctified in the Bible, one of the ways you can do that is by getting your face in the Bible and reading the Word of God. Go with me to John 17. I want you to see this. This is the, uh, the Lord's Prayer is not in Matthew 6. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. That's what a lot of people don't get. John 17, Jesus Christ is praying. In verse number 14, I hath given them thy word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15, I, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And look at verse 17. This is what it says. He says, sanctify, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I want to tell you right now, a lot of people who are unsanctified are that way because they never have sat down and read the Word of God and don't have it as a regular habit in their life. I want to tell you right now, uh, when I first got to Bible college, one of the, my, the very first semester, I had Old Testament and New Testament survey in one semester. And uh, at least in one year, we had an Old Testament and New Testament survey in one calendar year. And uh, one of the one of the tasks you had to do for New Testament surveys was you had to sit down and read the whole New Testament in one semester. I said, well, I can read the New Testament in three months. That'll be no problem. And I did that. And then I finally went to the next semester and you had to read the entirety of the Old Testament in three months on top of working a full-time job, trying to shower every day and, um, and trying to be friends with people and trying to enjoy college and try not to lose your mind. And then... On top of all that, you, i got to read the entire Old Testament in three months. That's a lot of work. A lot of old, I mean, and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so. And there's many times in the book of Leviticus and in the book of Ezekiel, I, did, I had no clue what I was even reading, but I got it done. And you'd be surprised just putting it through your mind what that'll do to you. You'd be surprised just what reading this these words. This this is not just an ordinary book. This is not just a, a, a fairy tale. Okay, this isn't some bestseller on Amazon. This this is the word of God. 
It's a supernatural book and it'll work on you. And you'd be surprised how many people at the pews of the church have never read the, the entirety of the Bible through one time. There was a guy years ago, he said, Preacher, many times I read the Bible and I don't understand what I'm reading. And the, guy, the preacher said, well, just keep reading it anyway. He says, well, I ain't going to read it if I don't get nothing out of it. And the preacher went and got a, a strainer from the kitchen. You know, you know those strainers that they use, you know. He said, go take this and go fill it up at the creek down there a few times. And he said he went down there, filled it up the creek. By the time he got back to the church, it was empty. He said, go fill it up again. He went back and just picked it up and filled it up again. Every time he got back up to the church, the strainer was empty. And he said, preacher, this ain't working. This thing's got too many holes in it. It don't carry enough water. He said, yeah, it don't carry much water, but it sure is a lot cleaner than it was before. And that's what reading the Word of God does. Even if it goes through you, just let it just let it clean you. Just let it work on you. Matter of fact, that, uh, go with me to Ephesians 5. And now that I said that. Ephesians chapter 5. Being sanctified by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says this. says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 26, that he might sanctify, there it is again, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. I want to tell you this. My job as a preacher is to get as much Bible into my sermons as I can. It really is. My job as a preacher is to not be a professional storyteller, not be a professional comedian. If I was a professional comedian, I'd be booked for all these youth conferences from here Till kingdom come. I mean, that's just how this all works. Uh, my job as a preacher is to get as much Bible into my messages as I can because the more Bible I give you, the cleaner it can make you. And there's been many times I've, I've heard preachers preach, and boy, they plowed, and I'm, I walked out of that place repenting before God and walked out of that church service clean and repentant before God. Why? It's because that's the power of the Word of God. And, and, and listen, I'm going to tell you, we ought to be preach As preachers, we ought to use as much Bible as we possibly can because it is the cleansing and the washing of water by the Word of God that does that, not our stories. Is everybody all right tonight? <laughs> I, uh, I'm giving you a lot tonight. I hope it's all right. I want you to see this. Go with me to Isaiah 1. There are some things that are okay for a saved man to do, but a sanctified man can't do it. And stop acting like just a saved person. Start living like a sanctified person. I want to give you this story in Isaiah 1 that kind of captures what I'm saying to you. The Lord kind of gets fed up with his people in Isaiah 1 verse 13. And he says this, bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot away with it is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. And by the way, none of that stuff's wrong. That's all good stuff, but they're just wicked people going through the motions. Your new moons and appointed feast, my soul hateth. Can you imagine God coming down and saying, this revival meeting's a joke. This Sunday school class you people are throwing, this is stupid. I, I'm sick of it. Can you imagine God saying that? Boy, that'd be tough. Your new moons and appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I'll hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. This is what he said, verse 16. Wash you. Make you clean. 
Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. That We're talking about practical sanctification here. This verse needs to be preached in every church in America. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. As Sam P. Jones, the old preacher of yesteryear said, quit your meanness. Stop living like the devil. Stop living like the lost crowd. Start living like a Christian should. Verse 17, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fathers, plead for the widow. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's what the Bible says right there. I want to give you this tonight. I gave you the positional sanctification, personal sanctification. But let me give you the lastly, third tonight, the privileges of sanctification. There are certain privileges that sanctified people enjoy that unsanctified people do not. I want to say that again, as I said at the beginning of this message, there are some things a saved man can do, but a sanctified man can't do. And the opposite of that is true. There are some things that a sanctified person can enjoy that an unsanctified person cannot enjoy. I want you to do this. Go over with me to James chapter 4. And the Bible says this in James 4 in verse number 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Remember what we just read in Isaiah 1? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Verse 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he'll draw nigh to you. That's what sanctification ultimately is. Sanctification is stepping away from this world system, stepping away from the flesh and stepping away from the devil and taking a gigantic step towards Jesus Christ. And as you step towards God, God steps towards you. And so the first thing that the first privilege of sanctification is that you have a closer fellowship with God. I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing better than communing with God. That's what the Christian life is all about, just knowing. With, no, look, you even go to the book of Genesis. What did God do with Adam and Eve? He, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day because we have a God in heaven who knows all things, but yet at the same time knows me and wants to spend time with me. And that ought to blow your mind. That ought to just, I mean, the God wanted to be with us so much that he sent his only begotten son to die a cruel death on the cross of Calvary so that he could be with us and that he could know us. That's what it's all about, friend. One thing that I know about God is he desires communion with man. And if you draw nigh to God, sanctify yourself and step away from this world system and get away from all this junk, cleanse your hands and purify your hearts as you do that. You'll enjoy a fellowship that's much closer to God. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 6. And 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is a tough chapter, man. My goodness. This whole church was eat up with paganism and all kinds of things like that. And uh, it goes on and says, look in verse number 16 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. The Bible says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? I, I mean, I like that. We ought not be having Louisville Cardinal Sunday here at Lighthouse Baptist Church. It makes sense, you know, Kentucky Wildcat Sunday here. That's that's weird. Some of y'all be all right with them, though. I know. <laughs> I mean, what what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And by the way, you know all these like a thousand years from now, archaeologists, whatever you call those things, um, 
them professional scientist digger people. Um, they're going to dig up this society. And they're going to see how pagan we are. You know why? Because they're going to dig up all these temples to all our gods. And they're going to say about the people in this area that they worship the red bird god. It's true. Yeah. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. I will, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Verse number 1 of chapter 7 says, Having therefore these promises. What, what are these promises? The promise that if you come out of that world system, then you'll, if you draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. That's what it's just saying. If you have the, having therefore these promises, that if we come out of the world system, we'll meet God and have closer fellowship with Him. Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That word holiness. Oh, buddy. I, I crave that. I crave that as a Christian. I got saved. I remember one of my early childhood memories is watching, watching the neighbors get drunk, get in a fight in the front yard and hearing all the cussing and nasty that they did. And when I got saved, I said, I want holiness. I, lo I love sitting down at a dinner table of people uh, from Peachtree Road Baptist Church, and, and there wasn't one cuss word that was said in the dinner table. It wasn't one dirty joke that was said at the dinner. I, I wanted that. I wanted to be around people that were that way. I wanted to be around people who talked about the things of God. I didn't want to. I didn't want to be around people that talked about filth and nasty. I wanted to be around people who who were holy people. That's what I wanted. People that were trying to cleanse themselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, and were trying. They, they weren't. They, they weren't there, but they were at least trying to perfect holiness in the fear of God. Let me say also. When you get sanctified, you enjoy a fellowship that everybody else in the church doesn't doesn't really get. By the way, can I? Uh, is everybody all right? I still got time. Um, if you ever get in a meeting where God really moves, y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking charismatic. I'm talking about God moves. Some people get really happy, and some people start going. And, and it's it's not hard to see. Some people get real nervous. And some people say, Woo! Glory to God! God's working. Usually, that's an indicator of who's sanctified and who's not. If God moves in here and it scares you to death, something wrong with you. If God moves in here and it just blesses you and you start crying and you start hitting the altar and you start saying amen and that kind of stuff, that, that's usually a symptom of a sanctified person. They enjoy a fellowship that the others don't. Let me land the plane. Go to 2 Timothy with me. Chapter 2. We started there. And let's end there. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want to give a big illustration. And we'll be done. Verse number 19, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His... And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Now here's the illustration, verse number 20. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. 
meaning this in a house he said he's got these vessels of gold and silver wood and earth things like that that's clay pots and that's cups and that's you know that that's what that's talking he's talking about silverware and cups and and pans and things like that that's what this is talking about every house of yours has a cookie sheet okay you also had that casserole dish that's gigantic and you, you don't bring it out but every once every two years okay you know, we also have cups my kids like to pour cups of tea drink one sip and then put the whole cup in the refrigerator and then when I'm reaching over that to get something the next day, I knock that cup over and tea goes everywhere. It drives me crazy. We're, pray for me. I've got issues. Amen. I'm not bitter. But there's, there's vessels in a house, vessels that you use. All these women today are fighting over these Stanley cups. I have no idea what that's all about. Does anybody here have a Stanley cup? Anybody? Uh, well, yeah, I didn't think so. These are sanctified people. Um, that's not true. Um, arguing over, I, I mean, I, I saw a video on Twitter the other day. Somebody set out a pallet of Stanley Cups at Twitter, and all these rich, yuppie white women were fighting each other over these Stanley Cups. It made me nervous, man. I was like, what is so special about these cups? But apparently that's a big deal. Um, but every house has dishes and pots and pans and cups and things like that. But not every pot and pan and cup in your house is being used. Look what it says in verse number 21. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Can I tell you this? That the other day I used a bowl, ate some food, and I set the bowl in the sink, and after... I don't know, I woke up the next day and all that food in there was hard and you know how that goes, you know, food dries on top of these these dishes and stuff. But I wanted to use that bowl again. But the problem was it was filled with a bunch of stuff that I could I mean, look, you, you don't take you don't take a glass with a little bit of milk in the bottom and set it on the counter and let it sit there for three days. Let that milk sour and spoil and just pick it up off the counter and stick it under the tap and pour water into it and drink it, do you? You know why? Because it's not clean. It's dirty. If I could use the term, it's not sanctified. It's not, it's not able to be used. It needs to be cleansed first. And look what it says, verse 21. And, and, and this is, the funny thing is, verse 19 talks about the, the, at the very end of the verse, depart from iniquity. Okay, let's skip verse 20 and go to verse 21. If a man therefore purge himself of these, what, what is these? That's the iniquity of the world. If a man will purge himself and get sanctified of these things, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified. And guess what? Look what it says. And meet for the master's what? Use. The two privileges that I see in the scriptures in this message I want to give you. Sanctified people, number one, they enjoy a fellowship with God that other unsanctified people do not enjoy. But number two, sanctified people are able to be used by God in a way that unsanctified people are not. There are some people that if you put them in a leadership position in the church, they would bring a reproach to the name of Christ and they bring a bad stain to the testimony of the church and the community. There are some people being ordained to the gospel ministry today that I don't think need to be running a hot dog stand for Jesus. But they are. 
And they may be, they may have the names and the, the, the commendations of big name clergymen, but they are not, they're not meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. God's not using them. They're riding some coattails, whether it be nepotism or something like that. But I want to tell you this, that several times I went, I went and looked at every time in the Old Testament, in the Bible, the word sanctify was used. And many times in the Old Testament, God said, sanctify yourself tomorrow. Uh, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. I'm going to do this through you. Sanctify yourself to, uh, tonight because in three days time, I'm going to do something uh, for you guys. And I'm going to do something through you guys. It's going to be amazing. There have been many times, I mean, even before Joshua went into the Canaan land, uh, God said to Joshua, sanctify yourself and sanctify all these men because as you sanctify yourself, in a few days, I'm going to do something great and I'm going to do something big. And we wonder why God's not moving in our churches today. Because we've got a bunch of carnal, worldly people who are just playing church, going through the motions, who are just, you're just here because this is just, I mean, this is just your social gathering every week and you're not sanctified, you're not clean, and you're living in sin and you're living in fornication and you're living in worldliness and you're not right with God. And we wonder why God doesn't show up. Because we're not sanctified. There was that verse in the book of Revelation to one of the churches where, and I don't even know where it's at. I'm just going off the top of my head. <clears throat> where the Lord Jesus said, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And for many years, I'd use that verse in soul winning. I say, God's knocking on your heart's door. Won't you let God in? Won't you accept Jesus as your Savior? And I'd, I, I was a heretic, didn't even know it. That's not what that verse is saying. That verse is not talking to the to Lord Jesus knocking on the heart of the door of the sinner wanting to, wanting to save them. That, uh, that verse is about the Lord Jesus Christ knocking on the door of the church. People having church without God. He's not knocking on the sinner's door, heart door, wanting to save them. He's knocking on the church door wanting to sanctify them. And that's the problem today. We've got churchianity. We don't have Christianity. I desire to be a sanctified, holy Christian because I want to enjoy a fellowship with Christ that unsanctified people don't do. And I want to be used of God in a way that unsanctified people are not used. Let's pray. Fire down from heaven Where Elijah called on him And although Joseph was forsaken He was rewarded with the throne And when David felt his heart break He could sing this song Every need supplied Every moment satisfied and every time I call his name, I know I'll find him just the same. If you've gone out on the limb, or your way it may seem dim, don't give up and don't give in, casting all your care upon He said we could move mountains with 
faith of a mustard seed. So I know my God is able to meet my every need. And then one day with all the blood-washed saints will gather round the throne. And in anthem sweet crowns at his feet, we'll sing it on and on. Every need supplied, every moment satisfied, and every time I call his name, I know I'll find him just the same. If you've gone out on a limb, or your way it may seem dim, don't give up and don't give in, casting all your care upon him. Casting all your care upon him, upon him, upon him. When I was 18 years old, I was under terrible conviction of my sin and I didn't understand what I needed to do. I really was lost and had no man to guide me. I went to the grocery store and a book caught my eye and it was called God's Promises for Your Every Need. This is the exact copy of that book, the one that I bought when I was 18. As I was going through the book, I discovered that it really didn't have a whole lot about the plan of salvation in there. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, if you'll let me someday, I'd like to do a book, something like this, but better. And that being said, the Lord has allowed us to do a book just like that. And we are thrilled to introduce to you guys today, the Doctrine Matters Bible Topic Guidebook. This book has over 300 pages of Bible verses categorized in all different relevant topics. What does the Bible say about addiction? What does it say about being afraid? What does it say about alcohol? What does it say about backsliding and baptism, the local church? Uh, what does it say about carnality and character? Uh, we cover topics like finances, money, persecution, preaching, profanity, sobriety, strife, vengeance, unbelief, your thoughts, your testimony, your walking with God, worship, and witnessing and zeal. All of that is covered in this book. This book contains over 2,000 different verses on all these topics. And we encourage you guys to hit the link in the description below and buy one of these off of Amazon and consider buying one for a friend or a family member as a gift. And you could buy one for a person who's struggling because this book is designed to help people understand what the Bible has to say about all these great topics. We pray that the Lord would bless you as you get your copy of the Doctrine Matters Bible Topic Guidebook.